0: Good morning, and welcome to episode five hundred and seven of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Baseball Prospectus, and with uh, with me is Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Ben, how are you? Okay. Excellent. And we have a, a third a third person with us today, uh, Sahadev Sharma of ESPN Chicago, a contributor for ESPN Chicago, is with us to talk about the biggest story of. The day, um, which is the promotion of Javier Baez, but also a little bit to talk about uh, what you know might be one of the bigger stories of the next four or five years, which is the uh, rise of the Cubs, um, or at least the Cubs' planned rise of the Cubs. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Looking forward to finally watching Baez in the big leagues. So uh, yeah, you've uh, uh, it seems like if you're writing about the Cubs for the last. Uh, 18 months or so, like 92% of the words that you write are um, like updates from the farm and or updates on when the farm is going to arrive. This has been probably fair to say the most interesting thing for Cubs fans to follow over the last few years.
1: Oh yeah, I, I don't think there's much debate to that. It's uh, whenever I'm covering the Cubs, obviously you kind of have to <laughs> talk about the the what's going on with the major league club, but inevitably uh, by it, it it seems like it gets sooner and sooner in the in the season by July this year, but even by June this year, I was most of my post game stuff when writing for ESPN Chicago ended up having some sort of slant ma- mentioning the kids coming up through the system, and you know they're finally starting to filter through. We have uh, Alcantara finally came up uh, last month. And uh, uh, Tuesday night, I guess, uh, Bias is going to be coming up in Colorado. So that'll be that's uh, it's, it's great to finally not have to talk about the future and actually watch the future. And, uh, you know, it's, I've been a full supporter of what these guys are doing, Theo and Jed and Jason McLeod. But it's it's also it's also gets a little frustrating watching bad baseball day in and day out and wondering if this is actually going to
2: work out. Is the major league team tired of talking about prospects, or are they kind of repeating the the company line about how it's exciting? Not that not that the company line has been all focused on prospects, because it seems like uh, Hoyer and Epstein have been kind of careful not to not to pump up the prospects too much, or not to make the prospects the entire story. Um, but is the is the team particularly? members of the team who might be displaced by those prospects at some point in the future are they happy to talk about that or would they sooner focus on the the games that uh people care about less than the prospects in some cases
1: you know it, i've gotten the feeling that most of the guys that kind of get it that know they're around long term they're they're fine with it they understand it they they're they've seen a lot of them play you know uh, Baez has been up the past two springs and he's been pretty impressive in the spring uh, so much so that people have called for him as, as much to come up even last year at, at certain points, because he was just dominant in this in spring training, which we, but we all know that that doesn't mean much, but it's still, it's fun to watch. And, and the guys around him saw that, yeah, this kid clearly has talent and uh, the same with Solaire. And they, they know that these kids have talent and they, I haven't noticed anyone getting sick of it. If anything, some of them have been calling for, for them to come up sooner Rizzo has been talking about how, you know, that just, just bring them up. The best way to learn is to get up here and, and, and play, you know, I don't, I don't completely agree with that. And there's a reason, you know, Rizzo's out on the field and they have a player development staff set, set up to take care of those things. But, but he has a point to an extent that, yeah, some of the, the, you know, the real test is in the big leagues and now we'll, we'll really get to see what these guys have. Uh, But, I haven't, I haven't noticed any real discomfort with anybody, and especially a, a guy like Starlin Castro, who could lose his job to Baez in the long run, uh, has been all about Baez and wants to, wants to kind of take over that role as mentor, even though he's, he's still pretty young himself. Uh, but, you know, he was mentored by Alfonso Soriano, and Soriano kind of took him under his wing, a guy that wasn't really looked at as a leader, but kind of developed into a leader. And uh, it, I think that helped Castro kind of thrive early on. And hopefully, uh, I think Castro could learn to embrace a role where he he looks after a younger player.
2: Has each Cubs fan kind of picked a, a prospect at this point to to sponsor with his or her heart? You were, you were introduced on a radio show earlier today as the herald of Javier Baez. Is, <laughs> is Baez your guy? Is he more so than, than the other guys? Because it must be hard to... Pick one at this point because what Jorge Soler was just the MLB.com minor league player of the month, and Bryant was uh, player of the week, and Baez was an honorable mention. And all of these guys are hitting really well at a Baez in the big leagues now. It must be hard to pick a favorite. So is Baez and, and Addison, your and guy? Baez
0: and Russell. Don't forget sure. Addison Russell.
2: Yeah, there's plenty more. Uh, so yeah. is, is Baez your guy? And if so, why? You know, my guy. I I think uh, the introduction
1: there was more about just uh, the excitement with bias, and I write a lot about prospects, so I think they were just kind of uh, just kind of ribbing me a little bit there. But mm-hmm. uh, but for me, my guy is Chris Bryant. I'm there's I I hate hyping guys. I hate uh, trying to you know putting expectations way too high. But I'm just convinced he's going to be a superstar, the type of guy that you know year in and year out is com- uh, contending for MVPs. Uh, I've I've talked to him multiple times. I've I've watched him play a lot, and I've talked to scouts who I really trust inside and outside the organization, and I can't find a, a reason to to think that he he's going to fail. Every flaw I'm convinced that he has, he's going to figure out in some way because he's got this insane makeup and work ethic that that you just you wish every player had. And he's and he's also he's. <laughs> You know, he's, he's got the stuff on the field that you want. He's got the stuff off the field that you want. And then he's going to have his face plas- plastered all over the place because he's he's a good looking kid. He's got a great smile and he's just personable. Like So he's got, you know, he's got all three things that you need that you want from a player to really become a superstar. He's going to they're going to market the hell out of this kid and he's going to deliver on the field. I'm just convinced of it. And I, I'll tell you a quick story when. When he was drafted and he was signed, uh, you know, the the big question about him, other than the strikeouts, is the defense, right? But he just loves working on his defense. He loves to get better, and I saw it when he got signed. He went and was taking ground balls uh, during batting practice, and and Jason McLeod kind of waved him off the waved him off the field. You know, he's like, you know, you come on, that's enough. You can you can uh, relax now. And Bryant looked at him and, and he said, five more minutes, five more minutes, like a kid talking to his parents to stay out to, you know, play with his buddies. I, just, I saw that and instantly I was intrigued by him. He just has a severe love for the game. You know, his dad was, I think, a minor league player. Uh, you know, his dad's a coach, so he's he's been raised right. And just uh, I'm, I'm excited for him to come up, which is probably next April, late April, after they get that extra year of control.
0: Okay, so I'm glad you mentioned that because I have uh, I, this is probably going to be like like a three or four part question. So you can answer it just by talking for 21 minutes, and then we'll we'll end the show. Uh, but we're we're sort of conditioned to look at these uh, moves as being so I don't know calculated. Maybe is the nice way to say it. Cynically is, is sort of the slightly uh, less nice way of saying it. But but essentially say, uh, you know the understanding that. When a guy makes the majors doesn't always have to do with when he's ready for the majors or what's going to be best for him in the majors, but for uh, service time considerations. And so the Cubs are not the Rays. The Cubs are not the uh, pirates. They are a they ought to be a rich team that should be able to spend a lot of money in the future, especially when they start winning again. So uh, are they immune? to having to play these service time games at all? Is there any uh, any feeling that they might just actually play these guys sort of honestly and bring them up when they're uh, good enough? Or is it going to be the same situation uh, as you alluded to with, uh, with Bryant? Uh, secondly, uh, along the same lines, what does it say about the Cubs situation that they brought Baez up? There's no real need to bring him up. They could have held him until next year and nobody would have filed a grievance or anything like that. I don't think. And thirdly, why Baez? Uh, he's the youngest of the trio that we've been talking about. Um, and to some degree, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but to some degree, kind of the rawest in terms of uh, demeanor and style, and probably the one who's going to have the hardest time, I would think, in his first few weeks or months or maybe year. So, well, why him instead of one of the other two? Uh, and also, not to mention uh, that it's a positional uh, blockage that you know he's his, he has to move off his position, and, and in fact, in moving to second, he has to move another guy off his position. If I'm if I'm reading this right.
1: Okay, uh, let me take the last one first since uh, I'm going to forget the other two. <laughs> and you're going to have to kind of re- refresh my memory. But uh, so, why him over Bryant and Soler? Well, for, for Solaire, uh, he just doesn't have enough at bats. The reason they're going to call uh, Soler up in September is because he just needs playing time. Uh, it's also an interesting contract situation with him, he's already on the 40 man. He's going to have to be up in 2016 they'd lose all their options by 2016 so you'd rather you kind of have to force the situation with him and get him up you don't want to have to his first taste of the majors being when you can't send him back down if he struggles and just kind of needs to get clear his head and get back to triple-a or something so it's it's a situation where he needs at bats he needs uh, playing time and they believe he can handle the challenge of the major league. So there's no reason to rush him right now because he can get those at-bats at AAA. But he'll be up in September to, to get those at-bats. With Bryant, it's, it's a combination of service time and you can also say development because he has some holds uh, in his offense as far as the inside pitch and up high. You can kind of get him to swing and miss. It's not like he's a he's not a big chaser like Baez has a ten- tendency to do, but he does have some very small holes in his in his offensive game, and they still want him to stick at third. So they're they're hoping that his defense will continue to improve. And like I said, I talked about his work ethic, and it sounds like he's working his butt off uh, to to get to a level where they believe he could be a plus third baseman in the long run. Uh, and, and I think, add in the fact that Boris is his agent, and then you have to, you really have to consider the fact that, you know, he's not, in, in all likelihood, it's going to be hard to get him to get that that extension that you want to get for the young players like they did with uh, Castro and Rizzo. Baez, on the other hand, uh, what you said about he may struggle early on, that that may be a reason to bring him up now, you know, let him kind of figure things out. Let him he's kind of raw. He, he struggled early at triple a struggled early last year uh, when he came, uh, when he opened the season at uh, high a Daytona last season, it, it just takes a, it, it takes him a little while to adjust to a new environment. And, and I think that could be a reason to bring him up right now, get his feet wet for two months and then hopefully he'll start 2015 off running. And maybe you could make the argument that they're showcasing him. Maybe this isn't a guy that they, they plan uh, on being around in the long term, let him feast on September pitching, uh, hope he gets hot and really shows that, hey, this guy's ready, and they don't have to worry about service time because they're going to move him in some huge deal. Who knows who becomes available if, uh, you know, it sounds like Gene Carlos Stanton isn't going to be available, but things change quickly, and who knows? We always see, we're always surprised by the pitchers and, and big names that end up uh, becoming available in the off season, so maybe that's that's uh, something that happens there.
0: Uh, and what I've, I've forgotten
1: your other I think, two no, questions.
0: I, well, so. I I think you I think you got them all. I, I, the okay. the only thing is I started with if uh, if the Cubs are immune to having to do the service time game, but it sounds like uh, with Bryant at least they are going to do that probably yeah. or arguably, and they. Yeah, no you know
1: what I I'll, I'll say this with being immune to it. I think if they were contending right now. that that Bryant would be up. I think Mm -hmm. Bryant would be up. I think Solaire would already be up if they believed he's, you know, he can, he's ready for the challenge. And I think uh, they'll always have the excuse of development if they're not, uh, if they're not competing. So I, yeah, you could argue that uh, some teams should be immune to it, but I don't, I mean, Boston does it too. St. Louis did, does it, you know, good, good money-making teams still do it. I think it's just the smart thing to do. And it's, Uh, something that needs to be addressed in the in the CBA I'd like to see see just change so teams aren't forced to do it because it's just the smart thing to do getting waiting three weeks why would you not wait three weeks to get an extra year of control of a you know a top five prospect like Brian I I can understand if it's you know a bottom you know bottom 50 prospect or something like that Uh, you know bottom half the top 100 type prospect a guy that isn't likely to you know Make 20 25 million dollars a year down the road, but top
0: 10 guys, you gotta you really have to get that extra year of service time. So, um, Baez is currently a shortstop, Russell's currently a shortstop, Castro's currently a shortstop, uh, Bryant is, of course, a third baseman currently. Uh, so, there are kind of two I guess there are three schools of thought about this one is that this is going to be a problem. Uh, that this could somehow be uh, lead to inefficiencies that the Cubs will will rue uh, one is that this will all shake out one guy will move in one direction one guy will play left field everybody will find a position uh, uh, and or someone will flop anyway and the third is that they have all this surplus and that they're gonna use it to trade for pitching which is the one thing they don't really have when they're uh, planning to compete um, so what's your take which of the three do you subscribe to uh, I
1: i'd I'd probably lean towards the last one you said you know it's it it's a surplus it's a great i i keep looking at it as they have options you know they can do whatever they want they could keep all three and try and figure out a way to to make it work however they want to in my opinion i think edison russell ends up being the long-term shortstop i like i'm a big castro fan of you know i've watched him develop uh you know, go through struggles and really struggle last year and for half a season before right. that, and kind of come out of it this year. And he's a, he's a, one of the better shortstops in the game if you really if you really break it down. But maybe maybe he gets moved to third base, maybe he gets moved in a trade. They but the fact is they don't have to make that decision right now. It has to be made soon. I think you know we're seeing this process kind of speed up and go a little faster than I think some people. In Chicago media, or maybe even nationally, expected the Cubs to do this, but things are happening fast now with Alcantara coming up, and Bias coming up, and Soler soon, and then Bryant and Bryant next early next season. It's all happening pretty fast, so the window's opening for their contention. So you need to figure out what you're doing, but it's they're going to have to make some hard decisions. I think I think there will be. This is going to be a huge offseason for this team. They're going to be spending. Uh, payroll is going to be below $50 million. So they're going to be spending. There's going to be some big trades, I think. And one of those three, I, I'd have to guess, is not by the end of next season is not part of the organization. Uh, I, I really hesitate to say which one. Uh, if, if you made me, if you forced me to choose, I'd say Baez right now with Russell ending up being the shortstop. And I don't know what that means for Castro. Does that mean he moves to third and Bryant ends up in the outfield somewhere? That's very possible. I think this is a great situation. I don't think this is a bad thing to happen. I, uh, you know, I, I joke around. Maybe the Cubs have a new extreme shift where everyone just plays shortstop. But, but they, uh, but, but I think this is just something fun that uh, that'll work out for them. And, and, you know, I don't think Theo and Jed are wringing their hands and saying, "What, whatever are we going to do with all these elite shortstops?"
2: Right. There was an Epstein quote earlier this year where he, he said, we're trying to build a behemoth of position players, and that was prior to the Russell trade. So clearly this is the goal. So does that mean, do you expect that there will be a splurge on pitching at some point? You, you imagine that someone might be traded, but even so, that might not be enough to fill out an entire competitive staff. Does that mean that from this point forward, the Cubs are going to be, if not the favorite? certainly one of the favorites for any free agent starting pitcher who hits the market.
1: Yeah, I think if you look at what their rotation is and you kind of guess what's heading into next season, you you feel very confident that Arietta can man at least the uh, number 2 spot in the rotation, you know, whatever. Let's just say put him at the top there as the one guy and at the back you have Kyle Hendricks who's who's looked real nice, but you know, I'm not. I you know, I think he's the type of guy that's going to get hit, hit hard every once in a while when his command isn't there. But yeah, he can he can fill a rotation spot and he's definitely going to eat a lot of innings. And he's a smart guy that knows how to pitch. Uh, then you question like, is, is Edwin Jackson going to be part of the future? Is Travis Wood part of the future? Is you know Dallas Beeler, or some of these other guys at Triple A that aren't elite arms or elite prospects, but uh, you know can eat innings? Are, are any of these guys going to be there? Uh, You probably need to add at least three or four starting pitchers in the offseason, but they're good at adding guys. I think they're going to I don't think they'll be in on Scherzer. You know, they'll check in on the price and realize this just isn't what we're what we're looking for. I think Lester's the guy. I don't think there's any secret with that. Lester's they're going to go hard on Lester. Uh, You know, obviously there's the Red Sox connection there they're looking for some veteran leadership. They're looking for guys that have won before they, they believe in that. That's something that I think Theo and Jed and all these guys have kind of learned throughout the years. Uh, makeup is hugely important and they, they may have underrated that in certain moves in the past. And now they're, now they're uh, very, very conscious of that and very aware of, of what a guy brings into the clubhouse and how hard he's working and what he does to really improve himself and, and uh, stay in shape, and is this the type of guy that can uh, have a longer career? And they weigh all those things, and I think Lester fits that mold, and they appreciate that, and and maybe they'll, you know, I talked to Hoyer about this last uh, at the winter meetings last year about uh, spending in free agency, and what does it mean to to over overpay, and is there a right time to do that? And he basically told me, you know in in theory he's like just by when when you win when you when you get a guy in free agency you're overpaying because you're the team that paid the most so yeah it looks like you always have to overpay to get the guy he's like there's a time and a place to do it he basically was telling me you know this isn't the time for us but maybe that'll come soon enough i think it's this off season and even next off season depending on who who's available but you can't they've said it too you can't wonder and guess that oh yeah David Price will be available next year so we can wait Jordan Zimmerman will be available so we'll wait till next offseason you got to pounce when someone's available there the guy that's available now is the guy you have to go after sometimes so I think Lester's a guy I think you should look at look at Masterson and McCarthy as uh, kind of uh, the lower tier guys or second tier guys that they may look at too because those are guys that Chris Basio would love to get his hands on if you look at his history he's He's taken guys that have had success in the past but have had rough recent, uh, you know, a few years of rough uh, patches and, and really worked with them well, especially guys that have splitters, sinkers that work low in the zone and, and can induce some ground balls. And McCarthy and Masterson certainly fit that mold. I think Bosio would love to work with those guys and and uh, really get the best out of them. But, yeah, look for the pitching and maybe a big trade for a big bat would would be the two things I'd, I'd look for. And maybe a catcher, too. They they, uh, they All their catching depth is in the lower minors. So uh, I know some guys like Wellington Castillo, but it, they seem kind of split on on what they expect from him.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask you about some of those by-low pitching acquisitions that they've made that have worked out really well. Is that a coaching thing? Are you giving the credit to the coaching? Because we often talk about when do we give credit to coaches? Is it too easy to credit a coach with being some kind of guru based on a, a year or two and things going right? Is it mostly coaching, do you think? Or is it mostly acquiring guys who, for whatever whatever reason, fit a statistical profile of, of a pitcher who would be a good by low option who might be in for better things? I think it's a
1: combination of the front office identifying who they can who their coaching staff can work with best. So I think, you know, they obviously you, they look at, you know, peripherals and they say, well, this guy was, uh, you know, underperforming based on his uh, peripherals. He could, he could definitely pitch better than this A guy like Feldman fits that fits that role perfectly. Uh, Hamill was, you know, coming off some injuries and had, and had kind of gone away from some of his better pitches and, I think Basio has input on that. I think Derek Johnson, their uh, minor league pitching coordinator, former uh, pitching coach at Vanderbilt, has input on that. And I think their scouts you know, uh, do a great job of identifying these guys and and really pinpointing who best fits what they're trying to do and uh, their coaching staff can really extract the most potential out of. So, so yeah, you know, I hate saying it's all Basio because Jake Arrieta isn't, isn't a great pitcher now because of only because of Basio it's uh, Arietta is, is great because he was willing to listen to Basio and he was willing to put in the work to get better and, and notice that, Hey, I, ha- I need to make some minor mechanical tweaks and really listen to the guy and, and take his advice and then execute that. So it's, it's hard, you know, uh, it, it doesn't always work out. You know, there's, there's also Scott Baker and there's Chris Volstead and, and, and other and other guys that they've signed that just haven't worked out. But Edwin Jackson. I mean, so you know, it doesn't. It's it's not a perfect science. But and and even they'll admit they can't rely on this always working out. They they know they've been pretty lucky. They've with the health of these guys, uh, Mahalam and and Feldman and, and Hamill, them them staying healthy and them performing. It's, there's a little bit of luck involved with it too. But the scouting's done great, and I think I think there's going to be in a couple of years we'll start mentioning Chris Bosio in the same breath as like Don Cooper and guys like that, and, and you know, what, when Dave Duncan was around, guys like that, I think he's he's on the cusp of doing that because he's consistently really bringing out the best. It'll, Samarja, Jeff Samarja will credit Basio a lot for, uh, for helping him, you know, go from being just a pure strikeout guy to pitching to contact and knowing how to work low in the zone and really commanding his pitches and conserving his stuff early. And then if you look at his starts this year with the Cubs, what he was doing was he was – getting a lot of weak contact early and then he was racking up the strikeouts late in the game when he when he had that he still had plenty of energy and he was keeping his pitch count low and he could go deep into the seventh, eighth, ninth inning and and it seemed to work for
2: him. To go back to Baez for a second, if you look at his his monthly OPS splits this year, it looks like a very clear progression. Six seventeen, seven thirty-eight, eight fifteen, nine ninety-nine, and then three for ten with two homers in August. Is the is the scouting progression as clear from talking to scouts? Is the is there a clear uh, trajectory there where he has improved since the start of the season?
1: Yeah, I I heard there was a slight minor uh, like a slight uh, mechanical tweak uh, early in the season. I I saw a video of it and I and I talked to uh, a couple scouts and they said uh, people inside the organization wouldn't you know, flat out confirm it, but they said, but if, if he did that, it was more to keep his head straight, uh, his head still while, you know, he has a wild bat waggle. I'm sure you both have seen that. Uh, and basically what he did was he to, you know, preload, he kind of just set the bat on his shoulder and that helped keep his head a little still. He still has the bat waggle, but it's, it's a little less pronounced. And I think that helped, uh, helped with the wildness. He's not chasing the slider, uh, down in away. way, uh, he he was taking more pitches. He was having a lot more long at bats. If you I talked to plenty of scouts that said just watch his progression from early on in the season to to what he's doing now. It, you don't see those one two pitches bats as frequently. He's still he's still an aggressive hitter. it's it's you know he needs to be to succeed. I don't think you can completely take that away from him, but he's not swinging. It, it was really recognizing the breaking ball and not swinging. At this stuff that was just going to be in the dirt or you know away or just complete garbage that you know triple-a pitchers can really expose a guy like bias and they took advantage of that for the first month and a half uh he adjusted well and it's definitely it definitely was uh him him learning the pitchers and learning what to swing at and what not to and i think he's going to have to go through that uh, again because uh you know obviously major league pitching is significantly better than triple a pitching. So, so I, I always said, you know, he conquered the biggest level in the minors in double a, but the rail test obviously is major league baseball. So let's see, let's see what he can do with uh, major league pitching. I think he, it's going to be a struggle. I, I think Cubs fans are going to be a little disappointed at first because, you know, he may hit a couple of 450 foot bombs, but there's going to be a lot of strikeouts and, and you know, that, uh, that, that, on base percentage, maybe sub 300 for, for these next two months.
0: So the Cubs have been bad for many years now. And part of the reason that they're about to be good is because they were really bad. And in a way they were fairly deliberately bad. So Mm -hmm. uh, why do you suppose there isn't quite the same hand wringing and soul searching about what it all means that we've seen with the Astros?
1: Uh, as far as why are they tanking or is it like the hand wringing of they they're losing
0: intentionally so that's bad for baseball is that is, is yeah that is? yeah well like how much i don't know ben might be able to help me articulate this better but you know sort of how much they deserve their ultimate success whether it's good for the sport that they're able to do what they're mm-hmm. doing whether whether this is whether this is the new face of analytics, basically uh, tanking for three or four years, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for analytics, whether it's sporting, I guess.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, honestly, I think it's because of uh, who's in charge. I think uh, there are some people that aren't big fans of what Lanao and everybody there is doing, and they don't. Uh, they think they're, you know, you you guys have read the same stuff and seen it all. They they. They think they treat people like robots. There's no real. uh, There's no real. These these players aren't real people. They treat them just like you know pieces of paper and spreadsheets and all that. Whatever you want to say that those awful stereotypes that you hear. I don't agree with all of that, but I think that's what it is. Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, Jason McCloud, they have their reputations. They've they've done it. They've they've proven to people that you know what they do works. They haven't done this, they haven't done what they're doing with the Cubs right now, but they, they have a long history of success, and they've earned their respect already. Uh, you could argue that Leno has with what he did with the Cardinals as far as uh, uh, with their scouting department, but but that's, you know, he hasn't been in charge, and and... You know, Epstein did it in Boston. Hoyer was, you know, was was his right hand man in Boston. McLeod I, and Theo calls McLeod his his secret weapon. You know, so these guys all have the media's respect, and it, it kind of, uh, you know, I think things get kind of slanted when, when, when you have these guys like Lanao and Sig Megdahl that people don't really know, and they're like, who are these guys trying to change our game? And then, and then all of a sudden you have uh, you have certain columns written that just that just seem over the top and 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 rip them apart and and you know they've made some missteps you can't deny that this season there's been some stuff that that makes you wonder what what exactly is going on it's you know where I think I heard on your podcast uh Kevin Goldstein said you know we we know like less than eight percent of what's actually going on behind the scenes you know even with all the insider reports we know very little so I don't want to Say that what the Astros have done is is awful this season, but on the face of it, PR wise, it looks bad, and and I can understand why they're getting bad press.
0: That's a deep cut. That's episode one hundred. That's a <laughs> good, good recall. Has have there been any would you have there been any missteps along the way for the Cubs? Has there been uh, has this taken longer than they expected or anything like that? Is there anything where you think uh, if they could have done it over, uh, we would have seen a different kind of rebuild? Yeah, there's
1: certainly been some missteps. Uh, you know. There's been minor things like the Ian Stewart, uh, not so much the Ian Stewart acquisition, but they re-signed him after he bombed, uh, you know, for the first year. And they should have gotten a better read on his makeup. That's one of the guys that I think that they kind of learned their lesson about really doing their homework on makeup because that, that guy was not not a positive influence and, and really, you know, kind of showed his true colors in cert- with certain incidences. Uh, that was just a minor one but you know i think i think people were frustrated by the lack of spending That when when they took over when ricketts took over as the owner i think spending was up to like 135 1 140 million and it's gone down and you look at what revenue is and you look at all these reports of how much the cubs are making however accurate those are the cubs are certainly one of the doing better than a lot of teams in baseball i think that's hard to argue as far as money wise so so it's it's hard to justify them not spending money, but uh, I understand whether or not you don't just spend money for the reason of spending. You don't just go out and buy Shin Soo Chu because yeah, okay, we have the money, let's go get him. It does he really fit the plan? Probably not. You know, could he help the team win? Yeah, but what's why do you want to get to 80 wins? What's the point of that? What does that help with? It it appeases the the fan that's looking for immediate gratification, but it doesn't doesn't really help the long term goals and and people. Quickly forget how angry and how quickly they turned on Jim Hendry because he did that. He he built winners in 2007 and 2008, but it, it really hurt the team long term. People just completely have forgotten about that and and jump on them. They're they're being cheap. They're they're being they're they're being uh, they're they're just pocketing the money. And uh, I've heard people call Theo Epstein a fraud and stuff like that. So so it yeah, there's certainly people that are that aren't happy about this. I think I'm trying to think of what. You know, it hasn't been perfect. There's been, you know, last season for about a, there was like a year stretch where about four trades got leaked and then they never happened. Uh, it started with Dempster. That was it was that last season or two years ago. Dempster was supposed to go to the Braves for Randall Delgado that got leaked and then he vetoed it. So people were upset about that. And it ended up working out because they got Kyle Hendricks in a deal for for Ryan Dempster and now he's part of the rotation and I don't even know where like Randall Delgado is hitting uh he's hitting people in the back, right? That was him that that hit McCutcheon, or am I uh misremembering that? Uh either way, you know, the, there there was a Marmol for Dan Heron trade that got leaked and people people were angry about that, but all these leaks weren't from the front office. So people People like to blame the front office and claim that they're screwing up and all this stuff, but it's, it's really not, it's really not on them, but they're hardly perfect. You know, Edwin Jackson's probably the thing that people point to most. And I think even, uh, even, even the front office may admit that that was probably not their, their smartest move. And, and they, uh, they, they kind of, I think had a belief that they'd be able to have, uh, you know, supplement, uh, supplement the team with more talent at, sooner than they actually could because of all these renovation BS and, and, uh, and getting a TV deal done. And that's, you know what, that's the biggest misstep right there. The renovation, it, it hasn't happened. And it, I'm sick of even reading about it. It's supposed to happen right now. Uh, they're probably, there's a possibility that they're breaking ground, you know, today or in the very new fu- future, but until I start seeing things actually being built uh, I'm, I'm holding my breath on that, but that's, that's the biggest misstep right there because it's just been an utter PR disaster where, where we've, we've had promises for about three years now where something's going to get done and it looks like it's finally done and they're just going to go forward and not worry about a lawsuit from the rooftops. But, you know, we, we've heard it before and I, I just want to see it get done. So we don't have any excuses about, about money being spent and we can just worry about real baseball.
2: All right. So last question. It's it's hard for me to get outside of the prospect depreciation bubble on the Internet, having read Jason Parks and his coverage of, of Cubs prospects and the responses to his coverage of Cubs prospects or people who have read your work and your coverage of, of Cubs prospects. The arrival of Baez seems like the biggest news in baseball. Is that the case for the typical Cubs fan when when Baez makes his home debut or say the day after Baez makes his home debut is the the typical fan in Wrigley excited about Baez knowledgeable about Baez does he or she just know that it's some some guy with promise from the minor leagues or do they know the whole story. That's
1: you know that's hard for me to answer as well because I'm in my own baseball bubble and especially my Twitter bubble mm-hmm. because uh, with Twitter yes they know they appreciate it there some of them are you know demanding it sooner but but they all know that there's the system is stacked and then that's that's where this team is really uh, that's where the positives are with this team. Uh, the average person that comes to Wrigley. I don't know about that because, you know, there are some, there, there is a stereotype about the people that go to Wrigley and they're, you know, it's not always accurate, but there are some people that fill that stereotype that are just there to drink and have no clue what's going on with the actual game that's being played on the field. Um, I think it's funny. Someone, uh, a local, uh, a local writer, uh, did a video and and was going around Wrigley and and kind of asked random fans, hey, what do you what do you think about this prospect? And just making up names, <laughs> and nobody nobody called him out on it. I I talked to the guy and he said he said there were no outtakes. Nobody nobody questioned him on the prospect. Some of them said they didn't know who they were, but nobody questioned that. Hey, that's a BS prospect. So so yeah, there's there's gonna be I, I'd say the average fan probably doesn't but I, I'm guessing the average fan of most team doesn't really pay attention to the minor leagues. But yeah, the, there are, there are fans, most of the fans, the fans that care about the team, they're well aware of what's going on. And I had numerous people and noticed numerous people on Twitter saying, uh, they're very excited to go to the game on Friday. And, and uh, I think, I think you'll see a bump in attendance. Attendance has, has seen a slip, you know, the Cardinals series. And when the Yankees came to town last year, those, those were big, big draws, but uh i'll be curious to see how much of a bump it is on friday i hope it's a nice bump i hope fans do realize just how big of a deal it is to see these kids finally coming up and this is the best of the bunch in a while i'd say this is probably the biggest cubs prospect to make a debut since since mark prior as far as rankings go i'm trying to go off the top of my head i was thinking about this before because rizzo was never that high alcantara was never that high and neither was castro so it's got to be mark prior which you know that didn't end well, but he was amazing for a while. So hopefully people can will come to the ballpark and, and hopefully bias can deliver for a couple months.
2: All right. well, anyone who has been listening to this podcast now understands the full import of this news uh, and we thank you for for filling us in and for filling them in. People can find your work at ESPN Chicago. On Twitter, at Sahadev Sharma, that's S-A-H-A-D-E-V, S-H-A-R-M-A. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Sure. And uh, please support our sponsor, BaseballReference.com. Go to BaseballReference.com, subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And please send us some emails for tomorrow's listener email show at podcast at BaseballProspectus.com. We will be back with a new show then.
0: Can I can I note your podcast? You know what? It has we
1: we haven't done it in so long because we've both been so busy. So it's kind of uh, defunct. Okay. <laughs> we just uh, we we kind of had to shut it down because we both can't. We you know we both have two kids and we're both writing constantly. It's just like yeah, this isn't going to work out.
2: Sam is forbidden to have a second kid. <laughs> That's I'm it. afraid of what would happen.
0: Um, <laughs> not remotely interested. So <laughs> this is the one, the one, the one podcast planning issue that Ben and I are in agreement <laughs> on. Nice.